Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Forktails a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, this morning I'm joined by my friend Daniel Gonzalez, who is co-owner of Simply Salad, a brand that's up and coming in the LA market and growing. Uh, before we hop into that, Daniel, say hello, give a little bit of backstory. Hey everybody, how are you? My name is Daniel, I'm one of the owners of uh, Simply Salad. I've been involved in this business for about a year. Uh, prior to that, I spent about a decade uh, in leadership positions with Restaurant Brands International. So. Uh, Popeyes and the Chicken Sandwich, Burger King over in Europe, Burger King here in the States. Um, and yeah, originally from California, and I'm super pumped to be able to be bringing healthy food to California. That's awesome. So yeah, some name drops, uh, which are, are big ones. Uh, some are leading the charge. Actually, both, I would say, are leading the charge in their own right. Um, and, and suffice to say, you've had a lustrous career. Like you didn't just dive into the top. Like you, you have worked your way up. You've worn many hats. Um, and and going from a macro brand the size of Burger King, the size of Popeyes, to a smaller brand um, in Simply Salad, which I, I believe we're about to be at uh, eight units, right? Or yeah, we'll, we'll finish at about eight this year. You know, hopefully yeah. nine. Vegas says eight and a half. Uh, so I don't know if you want to take the over on that, but uh, you know, about eight. Awesome. So how, how have you applied your learnings uh, while maintaining that like agility necessary in startup? Because this is still startup. You're still wearing 30 million hats trying to get things mm -hmm. done. Uh, but it's a very different world than being, for instance, head of marketing in the EMEA for um, Burger King. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, how have I applied it? I think it's just it's a focus on on details. Right. I think as you get into a smaller business, a startup, you know, coming from a big corporate you know, where you're used to having 500 hands in the pot. Now there's two hands in the pot and they're yours. And so you have to get into every step, every detail, and it takes much longer. It takes much more time to do properly than, than what you're probably used to. I mean, I can tell you in, <clears throat> in my case, from a supply chain standpoint, you know, Burger King and Popeye's both have some of the best supply chain people in the world. And you know, when you source a chicken breast, it's going to be on spec. It's going to have all the right details. You know, now, you know, I myself am driving around to farms, you know, checking out, you know, chicken and, and asking the right questions from what I remember. So when you talk about applying learnings, it's applying them, you know, with my own hands, um, you know, to do that, you know, chickens, one produce is another where we visit the farms. And I think it's just applying them at, at like a very, very micro level, right? You talk about macro experience, but you know, a lot of folks fly around and I did for a decade at the 40,000 foot level, you know, now mm -hmm. I'm at, you know, still on the runway and it's every step asking questions, you know, annoying vendors, annoying my teams with all the questions. But then once you get your arms around it, then you launch, you're successful, uh, you know, and you move forward that way. So I think it's, it's, for, from my perspective, my experience is really about, you know, getting into the details uh, and asking questions. Yeah. I mean, I assume for you, there's been frustrations. Uh, you mentioned annoying people, but um, 
it, it is a very different world when you're used to having this lane, you know, and th this is the thing that I do. And then you trust your team members above and below that they're going to take care of their lane and together we win. Uh, but when, when you're back at this level, I mean, all, all lanes are really your lane and, and how yeah. do you mitigate the, what can be almost like whiplash? Like, Hey, I'm in my, I'm in my, uh, accounting to like right now. Oh no, there's a fire over here. I have to go hop on the line and take orders. Um, you know, and I know a lot of managers probably experience that on the daily, but I think as owner, you're even more, you, like you said, you have your fingers all over. You have like more than both hands in the pot. How do you manage that? How do you stay sane? Yeah, I think it's about prioritization. It's a, it's a, you know, basic answer, but like, you know, every day, every week, you know, you, and you have your big picture goals of like, what are the three most important things for our business, for our team, you know, for what's going on this week, this month. And, you know, start at the top and, you know, block off time, you know, for those most important things. So if you're, you know, reviewing, if you need to review, you know, the wireframes for a new app, make time to do that in the morning when you're fresh, when you know you can give good feedback. You know, if you're working on finalizing your strategic plan or reviewing insights work that your team has done, which is critical to the next phase of your business, make time for it, um, you know. 30, 40% of your time is going to be swallowed up by just stuff that comes up, you know, no matter what. And so you need to prioritize those things that have to happen. Um, and then even then, you know, you put the kids to bed. I have two little ones, you put the kids to bed and then, you know, you, you work until 11 o'clock midnight and you do it again. Uh, but those hours aren't as good as the stuff from, you know, eight 30 until, you know, 10 30, you know? Yeah. You're really running out of runway at that point. Um, I think <laughs> saving things for later in the evening usually has the best intentions. My, my advice would be to make sure that those things aren't critically important <laughs> because That's there's something like the, the, you know, the beginning of the morning that just keeps you absolutely fresh. Um, like a lovely head of lettuce. Uh, That's so, uh, That's right. Popeye's is another large brand where, where you've, uh, spent some time and right. uh, built some tenure and knowledge. Um, and if I'm not mistaken during that time, you were part of the, the famous chicken sandwich era that started, uh, how, how did that product just come to be? Cause I mean, I think outside looking in, even in the agency world that focuses on restaurants, it's still outside looking in, it's easy to, um, see perfection, right? Like there's rose colored lenses. It's like, wow, they just nailed it. Now you, you can infer that there was a bit of work behind it, that it didn't just manifest out of nowhere, mm -hmm. but it is sort of enigmatic. I mean, Popeye's out of nowhere, just dropped this bomb of a sandwich at, and it is a good sandwich. It's an amazing sandwich, which uh, anyone who's listened to this show, I think I waxed on the first time that I had it. I mean, right. I, I was skeptical and there was a, a very under the breath F word uh, just in delight. I'm like, wow, this really is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So what kind of insights can you give there? What research went into it? How did the brand prepare for the launch? Anything. Yeah, so I think, look, there's a, it's a, 20 plus year story actually i think uh most folks probably don't know or realize is that popeyes had had a chicken sandwich you know probably 20 times before and it failed every single time uh, and it worked this time uh what did we do differently you know i think it you know first of all popeyes has i would argue if i can plug the best culinary team in the business. So Amy and her team, they're still like by far and away the best in the business. And, and, you know, I think they're a reason why the product, they're the reason why the product itself is so good. 
so I have to start there, Joseph. It's it's by far and away the number one reason. But I think apart from that, even with that amazing product, you know, a big brand can be very gun shy about launching a product for the 21st time. You know, it's it's the boy who cried wolf, right? And so I think what we did differently, big picture, was you know an insane level of focus on the product quality. So product quality, taste testing, um, and the impacts of what that had on the restaurant. So we had taste tested many different, you know, hundreds of different versions, but there was the one, which is the final one. That is the one that's in the restaurants today, but that one, and I think most folks know that, that it has a, you know, a, a, like a, a different batter breading system. And in a franchise business, if you're bringing in a different set of equipment you need to carve out 36 to 48 inches in back of house in 2500 restaurants that's painful and expensive and so what we had was a killer product but we knew we had to put in you know a bunch of equipment and it was a discussion with the franchisees about why this time is different and you know simply put when you taste test versus you know the the 800 pound gorilla in the room which is chick-fil-a and i think everyone knows that and you're significantly outperforming, you know you've got a winner. Uh, and so just like I'm talking about product here, but I think that insane level of product, plus the fact that we would commit marketing dollars behind it, because now Popeyes have been growing. And, you know, we didn't bring something very simple, but I think a lot of operators that listen to your show will recognize that we didn't bring in lettuce and tomato, which we had done, you know, 19 times prior. And what that means is, you know, we didn't have lettuce and tomato in the restaurants before, so we weren't bringing it in just for that product. The, the lettuce and tomato that we weren't bringing in wasn't going bad. Therefore, the product quality was based on the chicken patty and the preparation and the pickles, right? And these pickles are incredible. So it, we kept it simple. We knew we had a winner. And then there was one tweet uh, that, that, that started it all that, uh, you know, my, my friend and partner, Bruno, uh, who's out there in the world today, you know, uh, uh, is responsible for and his team. And, you know, that's what started it. And I think when you have a better product at, you know, a comparable price with, you know, no one had ever really come at Chick-fil-A from a quality perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what set it off where, you know, wait, is this thing actually better than Chick-fil-A? Nobody's better than Chick-fil-A. And that conversation, people took sides. And, you know, you know, you've made it when people are making memes of Popeyes versus Chick-fil-A. And now there's right. a bunch of rap song, rap songs all over Spotify about it. So, you know, we knew we knew we had a winner, but you know, insane level of focus on quality and execution and, and partnership with the franchisees. Um, yeah. You know. And I and I think, you know, it's uh how do I put this? What what you're saying is not different than what I would hear, hear other people say. I think the difference is that it was done. If that makes, you know, like you, and what you said actually became true. Like I've heard everyone, what makes us different? Oh, better quality. Mm-hmm. It's going to, it's going to be great service. I'm like, congratulations. You're in the restaurant industry. Like, so what's really going to make this different because everybody thinks their quality is great. But I think, like you said, when you have a rock star supply chain team that can actually source that product, you have an operations team that just ace training and, and not just training of like, do this, but understanding the bigger picture. Um, so when they're yeah. talking to people, they understand the bigger picture and they actually feel part of something. Um, that's amazing. And for a challenger brand to not only challenge, but overcome, 
uh, the leader is is pretty intense. And then, you know, you see the stragglers behind you of people that try to catch up. I mean, McDonald's tried to launch a chicken sandwich. You haven't heard much about it. Zaxby's way late to the program. Church is way late to the program. Um, and at, that, at this time, it's like, well, you, you guys are too late. So, um, you know, why, why bother at that point, I guess. But what's amazing about the Popeye sandwich, and I'll let you talk because this is not my, this is not about me talking. Um, the consistency is very notable in that quality. So case in point, I ate that sandwich for the first time on the highway driving from Atlanta to New Orleans. And it was in a podunk town and it was, you know what I mean? It was, it was a highway town. I just happened to go there because McDonald's was closed. Boom. I ate it. It's amazing. A month later, by this time I'm a year late to the game, right? So a month later, I'm in the, I, I, uh, waiting for my wife to pick me up at the airport. I'm hungry. I don't want to wait. And boom, there's a, there's a, uh, a Popeye's in the airport. So I grab it there thinking, okay, it's going to have the same ingredients, but come on, it's not going to be this. It was the same. It was so fantastic. Um, and I think that's the magic is like the quality and the consistency, like you said. Yeah. And, and I think the, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and that when you have a big launch and you're moving volume and the product is hot and the product is fresh, it's easier to be able to deliver the consistency, you know, that you're talking about. And by the way, some of the best Popeyes in the world are between Atlanta and New Orleans. So, uh, I, I think you, you nailed it there, but I think the other thing you mentioned, other folks late to the party, I don't think it's about being late to the party. You know, you named Zaxby's and others, you know, those guys are all amazing. I think the thing is, you know, Popeye spent, you know, two, three, four years specifically developing this product. And after the Popeye's launch, when everyone saw how successful the, you know, the launch was, everyone said, I need a new one on the menu in three months. And if that's your approach to product development, you're not going to deliver, uh, you know, what you need. It might take three years and you yeah. have to have a team that has the guts to stand up and say, Hey, you know, we taste tested versus Chick-fil-A who's best in class or Popeye's who's best in class and we're underperforming. We need to rework and you need to succumb to that pressure of, you know, I need something on the menu now, but I need another year to do it. And I think that internal struggle where product quality wins that argument, uh, that discussion, uh, that's what you need, you know? And I think that like most folks would probably say the same thing as you mentioned, but I would argue, you know, show me the numbers from your taste tests. You know, show me the numbers of your in-market tests when you're in restaurants and you do tests versus Chick-fil-A. If you're beating, you know, I'll use Chick-fil-A as an example. If you're beating them, you know, then then you know, then you're good. But I think a lot of folks will succumb to the pressure, know that they're underperforming, use their old product as a benchmark, and say, "Hey, I've improved significantly, but customers are only comparing you versus best in class." And so I think it's that that insane focus on quality that that I think a lot of folks will skip and, you know, like I can understand, you know, but Popeye's is, you know, the, the chicken guy. And so, you know, we weren't willing to compromise. Yeah. And I, that really is the difference is the dedication and having the guts to, I think at any time walk away and say, look, this just isn't panning out. Uh, having the guts to persevere and say, while this particular, uh, variation was good it's not good enough and like pushing yeah. ahead more and I, and I think that lesson actually has translated 
to Simply Salad. Uh, prior to you joining, uh, but then I think obviously after you joining, it's it's even now more a part of the culture. Simply Salad. Before we hop in, I mean, this is a complete violent shift because we're talking about chicken sandwiches. Now we're going to salads. And I think when it comes to healthy food, especially in America, if you ask people, they will rah-rah healthy food all day long. And then when you get it out there, they buy the hamburger. It's it's almost every single time. And so chicken sandwiches, I think people kind of forgot that they were actually a staple for a lot of people. Um, and so it was obvious it was time for that to be re-upped, right? But salads have maintained, I think, um, some some spikes in growth. Um, but Simply Salad has found something, I think, intriguing and unique, and it's where it went, um, where these locations happen to be. And I don't think it was part of the strategy, but it's certainly become uh, part now because you realize who your biggest fans really are, and they're not mm. You know the 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 rich suburbs of a metro where there's a ton of money. Instead, you have found traction in places like Compton, uh, Los Angeles, and um, places that people would mark as underserved, where it's like a health food desert. So, what what has the reception been like, and how remarkable was that for you when you uh, excavated that insight? Yeah, you know, I mean, the reception has been like, I want to say like overwhelming, surprising, but honestly fulfilling, you know, and, and part of why I shifted from chicken sandwiches to salads. I had a couple little kids. I was thinking about legacy. I was thinking about, you know, making a, a better impact on the world and, you know, bringing healthy food to every community. Like there are some others out there doing you know, amazingly well. Now, you know, I was passionate about it. And so, you know, the reception where, you know, in your point of, you know, folks go for the hamburger, I think the reality is that like a lot of folks are focused on, you know, just getting salads out the door instead of building a salad that meets the same need as a, as a Big Mac. And, you know, that, that craving, that hunger, that, you know, that uh, efficiency with my time, the convenience. Um, and, and I think that, that is what enabled us to, you know, build a successful business and, you know, has excited us, you know, to, you know, to try to double our business this year and double again next year is because, you know, folks are realizing that, Hey, you know, a salad can, I can have it at 1230 and I can make it until dinner and not be hungry and not cheat on a cookie, you know, or a bag of chips or, you know, caramel popcorn or whatever. Um, and so I think like that reception from the communities, you know, is, is inspiring, honestly, to us, like we are inspired to build our business. We are inspired to, listen to our customers and ask them for feedback and ask for menu ideas, you know, the reception, I would have never thought that, you know, communities, we have a store in Koreatown, we have a store in LAX, you know, where it's not the Mecca for health food. And we have a million little Picassos out there designing their own salads, putting things together that we never thought of. It makes them feel good about themselves. It's a healthy option and they're in and out the door quick. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think when folks feel like that, and then we pay it back to them and ask them for feedback and listen to them when they give us feedback. You know, that's when, you know, for example, the new stores that were opening, we listened to customers. We said, Hey, where should we open? And he said, Hey, I drive 25 minutes to go get a salad here three times a week. Can you open one down here? Mm. You think we'd be successful down there? Yeah. And then here we are, uh, you know, openings. We're listening to them. So the reception, Joseph, to your question, it has been amazing, but I think it's it's not because of anything other than like we're trying to meet the same need as what you know the the burger QSR players are offering, and that's yeah. it. 
So it's, it's making salads convenient and accessible. And it sounds like the approach is really inclusive. And maybe that's one of the, the, the elements of the secret sauce is that people feel heard. Um, would you agree? Yeah, I think, I mean, inclusive, yes, but inclusive from the standpoint that like, you know, our teams are very diverse and, you know, we, you know, we hire from the communities in which we serve. So when you walk in a store, you know, the folks talk like you, act like you, the music is the same music that you listen to, right? It feels comfortable. It feels home. And even the way that the, we take orders where there's not some big fancy menu board up, you know, in a, in a, in a very sterile type feeling, there's a, you know, someone standing, you know, two feet away with you in during COVID with the mask on, um, you know, there to act like your Sherpa for salads. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's someone right there allowing you to feel comfortable. Hey, what is this quinoa stuff? You know, and you don't feel like you're asking the question in front of 15 people if it's your first time ordering a salad. Uh, and so I think that that even little things like that order process, you know, make, you know, make it work for us. And I think we like our secret, like if there's a secret, if you will, it's not a secret, uh, and I'll share it is we don't focus on health. You know, mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows that salads are healthy. We don't focus on that. We focus on the great taste. We focus on the quality of the ingredients. We focus on the service. We focus on the experience. We focus on clean restrooms, all these kinds of things. The same reason that the best QSRs in the world grew to be the best QSRs in the world. We focus on those things and we talk about product quality. We talk about taste. Taste is king. And we focus on that. People know that salads are healthy. And when that salad can deliver the same against the same craving as a Big Mac and fries, that's when we're winning. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's what we're working towards. And I think the, the, the quality approach and focusing so heavily on, on the produce and all of that, it, it does come through in the flavor. And um, <clears throat> I think more and more people are waking up to this, that, you know, this, you can get things at scale, uh, like produce and everything, but there's something that, that is lost in that, the flavor. And, uh, you and Cameron and Bruce did have a chuckle when I ate my salad without dressing. But one of the reasons for that is, Hey, if it's, if it's made with good ingredients, you actually don't need a dressing. Like those ingredients pop with flavor. It creates a really magical mix. Now, of course, the dressings at Simply Salad are divine. They're wonderful. Um, but that's one of the things I want to taste is I heard that it was quality, but people love to abuse that word. And when I had that, I was like, this is actually pretty amazing. I don't really need the dressing. Um, you know, I added the dressing for extra flavor at times. That's, that's something notable. And you see in eggs too. I don't know if you're a happy egg fan, but when you, when you have a happy egg next to even an Eggland's best, the mm -hmm. eggs just look anemic and then they taste anemic because it's like a very flat flavor flavor. Um, and I think you get the same thing with, um, simply salad. So how hard has it been to secure that level of quality of product at scale, knowing that your scale is still relatively small? Yeah, I think insanely difficult. Um, and I don't say that for any reason other than it's just, it's really hard. You yeah. know, we are produce, for example, and the stuff that we're serving in our restaurants today, you know, was in the ground three days ago. And it'll come straight from the farm, in, packed in a truck, into our central facility the same night, delivered to the stores. And so it's fresher than at Whole Foods. I love Whole Foods, but you know we're easily four or five days, six days fresher than the Whole Foods in California. Um, and that's hard work. We have our own logistics team. We have our own trucks. We have supply chain team. You know we're 
doing maintenance on diesel trucks all the time. And I think a lot of folks want to, you know, rely on like, and there are great companies out there that do food distribution, your Cisco's of the world. Um, and they serve a purpose, but I think Mm -hmm. we want that extra week of freshness in, in the produce, just as an example, because folks can taste it. Folks can taste it. When you bring like a, uh, a Beverly Hills quality product and taste to markets that aren't used to it. People say, wow, this is, this is really good. This doesn't taste like the sad salads that I've had before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's little things like that. We do the same with our dressings where we make everything by hand. You know, we could buy decently good pre-made Caesar, but we don't want to do that. Right. We don't have preservatives. We make everything fresh. The same with the proteins, you know, we, we marinate them all overnight. You know, we throw them on the grill, we finish them in the oven, we cube them up. And then that same evening where they're, they're, you know, we're, we're taking them to the source. So it's, it's fresh, it's done by hand, it's marinated overnight and you can taste it. And I think it's all these little things that make a big difference in, in terms of our business. But that, your question was, how hard is it? It's hard. You know, yeah. I, I just, you know, I spend a, a lot of my time outside of the restaurants and for a restaurant person to be spending, you know, call it half their time on supply chain, sourcing, culinary, innovation, prep, diesel truck mechanics, you know, maintenance, you know, it's a lot of time it takes away from the stuff in the restaurant. But, you know, if you have good stuff going into your restaurants, your four walls, it it makes it that much easier to be able to deliver a high quality product coming out. And I think that's where that's, that's maybe what makes us a little bit different. Uh, it sounds like it's a really big benefit of being all corporate owned stores as well, but you do have a lot of experience with franchisees at, at a large scale where you have franchise groups that do command a lot of power within the, uh, the organization, the ecosystem. Um, how, how scalable do you think, uh, having this fleet of trucks, like this methodology is, I mean, obviously you think it's scalable to a certain point or else you wouldn't have gotten involved. Um, but is the plan to stay corporate or do you see a path where this could still be effective for a franchise system? Yeah, I think, you know, your question, how scalable is it? I mean, we're in Los Angeles and Los Angeles County alone has 10 million people. I know that's bigger than most countries in the earth. So I know, I want to attack that first, you know, could we have a hundred restaurants in LA County? Maybe. And I think that we are focused on building density, you know, and density brings on all these benefits in terms of, you know, the ability to then invest in marketing, uh, efficiency from a distribution standpoint. And, you know, the number one reason why people know our brand and our stores is because they see them driving by high traffic roads. The more stores we have, the stores themselves serve as marketing. So, Look, I think it's, I think it's, it's, this is, we're going for density and we're not trying to, you know, go to Chicago. I spent some years there and I love Chicago, but we're not, we're not, we're not thinking about that. We're trying to build density and look, maybe it's a little more difficult, um, but it's still just as scalable. I mean, you know, Chipotle, who I, you know, very much admire, you know, they've got 2,500 plus stores, you know, almost all corporate. Right. And, you know, so I think we're, we're trying to build something similar, same look at in and out in Southern California, mm-hmm. right. Folks, folks know them and it's a very similar approach. Um, so yeah, I think it's scalable, you know, the franchise business is an amazing one. And, you know, there are certain brands out there that are just killing the game right now, your crumble cookies of the world. Um, you know, I think our business model, you know, we're still, we're still figuring out who we want to be when we grow up. 
And so we're not polished enough yet to even entertain uh, franchising. Uh, at some point, we might want to do that. But I think for the time being, we're still trying to dial in and, and perfect everything that we're working on. And, you know, look, there's uh, yeah, several hundred thousand chain restaurants in America. Uh, you know, how many chain restaurants are healthy eating or salad? It's, you know, maybe a couple thousand. And, you know, it needs to be a hundred thousand. So there's a massive opportunity. So there's enough opportunity for you know, 15 or 20, you know, major players, you know, to come in and, and, and share this market. And so we're just, we're just trying to do our part in our backyard. Um, ultimately we want to, we want to grow a lot, you know, significantly, but, you know, we're just, you know, trying to nail execution first and then, you know, and then start running even faster. Yeah. I, I think the density question or, or statement, I think is really important takeaway there too. Um, a lot of brands as they're growing, uh, they they don't grow with density in mind. It's more establish a few flags in this city and then look to another city, for instance. So uh, I have uh, a friend here that has an opportunity in Charlotte. And I'm like, right, that sounds cool. And it definitely feels good on the ego that somebody wants you to come to Charlotte. But have you thought about how you're going to service that market? How are you going to market in that market? How are you going to thrive there? Because if you just have one location, but you have three in Atlanta, Atlanta wins. You got to focus on Atlanta. That's your base. Um, and I think so many multi-units grow out of their area way too quickly. And they actually um, bootstrap themselves unnecessarily, not in a good way. They, they, they uh, handcuff themselves, I should say. Yeah. Um, so it's great to think that way. And you mentioned how it fuels marketing as well. So I, I do want to kind of hop back to the beginning for a minute. Um, the budgets behind launching a product are not small. And I, I think I, I've seen some of that misconception or the desire to have a big brand launch without a big brand budget. Um, but I do think you can get um, more gorilla with it. Like you said, that, that, that tweet or that social post about the sandwich is really what sparked it. Mm -hmm. And people are looking for that magic bullet, but I think there's a lot of work that went into that. I think you mentioned Bruno led that charge. Um, from your perspective, are there some rules of thumb or just some guidances on what kind of budgets or how, how much weight you should put behind launching a new product or an LTO? It, this is Joseph. This is the the billion dollar question. Um, it's, so it's a it's billion new, dollars. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, and, and think of national brands, right? Any dollar that you're taking to launch something that's unproven is taking away from supporting what's proven. So, you know, oftentimes folks will measure, hey, you know, this new product is selling, you know, fifty a day per restaurant. You know, this is above our threshold. Great. But if you have less ancillary purchases with each one of those 50 than what you had with the other 50 tickets or 50 items that you're selling before, it might be value destructive. And so you're taking away from your moneymaker to invest in something unproven. Um, and so I think that like your question of what's the budget, and I think it's a question of like, how sure are you of the bet, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're confident that your product tastes better, you can execute in restaurant, you have the supply chain to support uh, you have the equipment to support, you know, then it's worth it. And then, and you test it properly, you know, like, and you test it under real conditions, you test it. So most folks don't realize, you know, a year prior to that launch of the, of the Popeye's chicken sandwich, we had, you know, we had the, those sandwiches in three restaurants in Houston. Hmm. 
and we could, we could measure what was happening. We could measure what happened when we turned on local TV and local digital social. So we could see what was going on in the business. So we knew that we had something, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. so then that kind of fed more, uh, you know, uh, more confidence that like, hey, we should make a major budget line item for this. And then the plans were, you know, with social, right, to still be, to start, right? Because you can be efficient. And then that, you know, the the infamous tweet that, Twitter gave us award. I think the most, the most like corporate tweet in the history of Twitter, um, the y'all good tweet, you know, like we didn't need to do anything after that. So we, we canceled all TV because we ran out of products in 10 days. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, but I think your question, what's the budget? How sure are you? If you're sure, like be brave, go in, go all in uh, yeah. and, and, and support it. And, you know, for some folks like you, you might be, it's a risk, but like, what's the risk that you don't support it? I mean, you're basically agreeing to fail before you even start. And so what I would say is like, if you're confident in your product and you're realistic with testing, not in a lab, but in real restaurants down the street, run by franchisees and real operating conditions and you're outperforming, you know, then, then, then invest behind it. And, and you, you might be surprised what you find, uh, you know, with those conditions. So, you know, I can't give a specific dollar amount. Depends on the launch, how big of a category it is. But I think that like it scales up relative to you know. Think about it in terms of percentage of your budget. If you think that product X is going to be a killer, you know, and you invest thirty percent of your budget behind your main product, you know, should you be investing at least ten to fifteen percent of your budget in this product launch? Probably. Yeah, it's worth the bet. So the, the confidence really does come with the with the purse, right? It's like mm-hmm. you can talk the big game about how wonderful the product is, how great it's going to be, but then if you put a an anemic budget behind it, it's like, well, is that really going to move the needle? And I think we have those conversations a lot with folks. Um, yeah, it's uh, like what, what do you really think? Yeah, it's like investing, right? You know, the 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 total return of your portfolio is going to be based on you know the biggest best that you make and how they how they perform. And That's right. It's, it's no different here. So this might be the toughest kind of, uh, question of the entire interview. Um, if you could have one, if you had one last meal on earth, uh, on this plane of existence, what would you eat? Where would you eat it? And why? I would have, all right. So I am a sucker for Domino's thin crust pizza. Um, I love it. Uh, and that's what I would have. I would have that, you know, with my wife. I mean, we met in business school. We bonded uh, over late night Domino's pizza a bunch of times. So, so it's very sentimental. Uh, it, you know, it's it, it satiates my hunger. It, you know, it's thin. It's not too heavy. Uh, you know, so I would have it probably in Chicago. You know, sitting outside somewhere, not during the winter, uh, and you know, just this, just enjoy it with, uh, you know, with a beer or something. I love it. So I didn't intend for this to get, yeah, that's what, that's why the question is what it is. It's like, why, you know, why is that though? And I think that's a great, a great story. I didn't mean to put you into a position where you would uh, become a controversial figure, but here we go. Pineapple on pizza or no? hundred percent. I'm saying yes. hundred percent. Yes. I'm team pineapple. You know, I, I I catch a lot of flack. Uh, I don't know what side, what side you're on, but, uh, I'm team pineapple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It belongs on pizza, right? It brings, it brings the, the nice texture and, you know, I love the moisture and the flavor of it. So it, it works well. So to all the, to all the haters out there, you know, you guys got it wrong. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, I encourage it. Don't eat pineapple and pizza. It's more for me. Uh, I don't have to worry about you at the party eating my pizza. So uh, that's awesome. Well, Daniel, how, how can people find Simply Salad? How can they connect with you? Yeah, so uh, simplysalad.com is our website. Um, you know, at Simply Salad, Instagram is the handle. You can follow a lot of what we're doing. You know, I'm on LinkedIn as well. You can find me. But uh, look, we're, we're heads down. You know, I'm heads down. You know, I'm not, you know, generally trying to, to do podcasts or anything. But, you know, Joseph, I, I, I know you and, and like you want to support you. Um, but uh, yeah, reach out, you know, uh, any of those channels, you know, I, I'm behind all of them with, you know, with my partners. And, uh, you know, more importantly, you know, come visit one of our locations in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, come come try our product, come see what we're doing, uh, and you know, and reach out. You know, and I'd love to talk about it. You know, I think like um, you know Pat Brown from from Impossible Foods. You know, like he he wants more people in the plant based food category. You know, to compete with them to make them better, and it'll help achieve their mission of you know eradicating you know the animal proteins. You know, we want more competition as well, and you know, we want more players to help us. You know make it easier to eat healthy and we can't capture it all so come visit share your feedback and let's talk i love it well thanks so much for taking the time out i really do appreciate this a lot of great insights that i think people are gonna uh quite really eat up um so thanks once again awesome thank you Justin. if you love what we served up please follow us at vigor branding on instagram linkedin youtube and medium fork tales is produced by the team at vigor audio and video post productions provided by zencaster music performed by jet trash and licensed through musicbed.com joseph handles his own hair makeup and stunts copyright 2003 to 2021 vigor graphic design llc all rights reserved